Hello and welcome to the Real Life Sports Show. This podcast is for sports fans and people playing sport. Anyone interested in sport, basically, whether that's watching it, playing it or competing at any level. My name is Sam Adams. I'm known as the Real Life Coach. I'm a business owner and a life coach who works with sports professionals, whether that's athletes, coaches and people in and around the sporting industry. And I help those people live more expansively, authentically, so that they can enhance their performance, whether that's playing their game or living their real life. My background is business, really. I've been in business for over 20 years in property, and I've mentored in that industry and coached. And that led me into life coaching. And then that led me into working with people in sport, basically because I'm passionate about sport. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about the topics in sport. We're going to talk about the real life behind the scenes, what it takes to be a professional athlete. We're going to have the latest news. We're going to have some discussions. I'm also going to share with you my experiences of coaching elite athletes. We will have some amazing guests and they will be talking about the glamour and the glory, the medals, the achievements, the titles. But we'll also go behind the scenes to find out what it really takes, the grit and the grind what it takes to excel as an elite athlete for yourself the listener what i promise you is that you're going to get some great takeaways and insight from these podcast episodes whether you're looking to achieve or improve your mindset it'll help you with your personal development and it will give you that extra bit of insight and what it takes to be a high achiever also i'd love for you to do me a big favor when you get to the end of this episode or any episode is leave a review. Leave me a five-star review and I will be eternally grateful. So here we go, the Real Life Sports Show. So yes, welcome everybody. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Real Life Sports Show with me, Sam Adams. And today's guest oh, is just, I'm super excited uh, to have this guest with us today. Another Olympic champion, um, after we've had Dame Kelly Holmes on the uh, included in this series of uh, podcasts, world champion boxer we've got in, and a rugby player champion now, we've got another Olympic gold medalist, and it is the one uh, only Becky Adlington, former British swimmer and uh, OBE as well, and double gold medalist at the 2008. Where was it? 2008? It was Beijing. Beijing. <laughs> I should have known that. Becky, welcome to the Real Life Sports Show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, my pleasure. Absolutely um, delighted to have you here. So I- I'm going to die. You've done a lot. <laughs> you are basically um, Britain's most successful swimmer. And uh, you've won all kinds of things, broken loads of records. Obviously, you're probably best known for 2008 and winning those two gold medals. Um, which I remember, I'm a massive sports fan, hence the show. Um, so I remember that as clear as day. I remember crying. Um, I think it was when after the 800 metres, because you did the 400 first, didn't you, I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I remember crying at the 800 metres. So I was very I invested. In it. I was crying too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you did all the hard work. <laughs> but um, I think you're the first British swimmer to have won two olympic gold medals uh since 1908 or something like that when you did it in 2008 was that right i think so yeah i'm not too sure on the year it was but yeah it was definitely a while we had um anita longsborough was the previous woman that won gold in 1960 um but yeah double gold was 
ages ago. And I think it's, it's this double gold thing, isn't it? Because I, I know I'm friends with Dame Kelly Holmes and she's been on my podcast and she's a double gold. And it's that double gold thing that's, that's uh, pretty damn hard to, I mean, to be fair, any Olympic gold is hard or any Olympic medal, but to get two golds is pretty spectacular. I think it's because so many people now, it's like because the vast amount of athletes as well that there is now mm. um, compared to, to years and years ago is the fact that it's really niche. Like, so most people are better at one event. I am traditionally better at the 800 than I was the 400. Mm. The 400 was the bit of the fluke for me that it was like a bit of a jackpot. But yeah, you do tend to have one better event, don't you? Yeah. Fur and everything so that's the one it's even like Adam Peaty like Adam Peaty even though he's technically on all other levels better um kind of swimmer he he holds the title for Britain's greatest ever swimmer but because he only does the 100 and not the 50 and the 100 because the 50 meters breaststroke isn't an Olympic event and because he hasn't got that double gold to his name mm. I still hold that. And I think that's mad because I'm like, in my eyes, Adam is way greater of a swimmer than I ever was. But just because the 50 is not an Olympic event, he can't get that. But obviously this summer, once Tokyo has happened, he'll be able to say double gold medalist and uh, he yeah. hold that crown. And that's <laughs> an amazing moment because he is just absolutely phenomenal. And I am more than happy to just take the female crown. Uh, <laughs> so that's absolutely fine. <laughs> well, you've had like, gosh, it's like 12, 13 years, haven't you? You've been able to hold on to that. So I mean, I've, I think it sounds like you're kind of person that likes to see other people do well anyway. So if Adam gets it, that'll be yeah. incredible for British women. But, you know, oh, God, yeah. it would be honestly, the swimmers are just swimming absolutely amazing. Um, it's been incredible to see, especially after this past year mm. um, and then getting back in the water, seeing them racing again. has just been amazing. And they're absolutely a storm in it. I, I am so surprised because I knew that we've got top athletes in this country and I knew that already. But the fact that they've had to deal with this lockdown and I know everyone has worldwide, but in, in like America and Australia, they've been able to still swim because the pools are outdoor. Whereas right. here, it, it was a lot, lot different. The pools have shut because of indoor and because of our rules compared to some of the other countries because we don't have outdoor facilities that have stayed open. So the very mm. first lockdown, they couldn't train at all. It's only since the kind of second and then this lockdown just gone that mm. they made the exception for elite athletes. Whereas the first lockdown, they were completely shut down with everyone else. And yeah. so that amount of time off and with the facts that how fast they are swimming, I'm really looking forward to Tokyo because I just think we're going to, if they keep on this kind of trajectory and keep going, we will get a handful of medals which will oh, just be amazing. I cannot wait. And I, I, I had Michael on, who you know very well, Michael Gunning, yeah, and, yeah. and I spoke to him during when he wasn't able to swim. Um, that's when he came on the podcast. He came on my other podcast, uh, which is called It Starts With You. But um, yeah, I know that was hard for him because he was, I think he was down in Kent at that time and he couldn't swim. And it must be incredibly difficult um, that you just can't compete and you can't keep that fitness level up. That must be really hard because... You know, for swimmers, especially if you can't get in the pool, I mean, I guess if you're a runner, you could have still gone out and run a little bit. But swimmers, you just, unless you've got your own pool, which is highly unlikely, it's very difficult. Very, very difficult. Honestly, nothing emulates swimming. That's what's really difficult. And I know there's loads of sports exactly the same, mm. but it's like you've just said, if you're athletics, you can obviously still keep fit in other ways. Yeah. Uh, 
but the feeling of being in water and if you talk to the swimmers they'll start talking about the feel of the water and they'll go oh you lose the feel and everyone's like what the hell are they talking about but it's actually a real thing and you do lose that feel of being in water and then you get back in you could be the fittest person in the world but you get back in and you'll feel like you're swimming through treacle because it's a completely different feeling um and yeah and the resistance and everything that you're weightless in water so it's completely different so the training is really hard to kind of emulate that and do something around that and I saw so many weird and wonderful things in first <laughs> I saw people that had set up paddling pools and they had attached like a bungee around their waist and then to a pole and just swam against a wow. bungee pole and honestly there was all sorts of stuff going on and I was like this is just amazing um and obviously the, we are very lucky in this country if you live near one that we have actually got some amazing open water spots so I, I did actually see a lot of the guys just getting in the sea or yeah doing that which was just like such it's so different swimming in the sea to a pool but they just were trying to keep fit and doing all sorts of different things so they were able to at least get that feel of the water yeah I mean I I live in Brighton so I'm on the coast um, and sea swimming has taken off massively I mean you know I love all sport but swimming as in doing it I'll do any sport but swimming is like my weakest area didn't learn to swim as a kid had to learn as an adult that was a real struggle and I still have this big fear of the water um, and I'll go in up to my knees in the, even in pandemic I went in up to my knees but there are so many sea swimmers now down here it's incredible how it's taken off and I saw this great quote yesterday um, it was by one of my coaches um, obviously I'm a coach but I have my own coaches and uh, it said that um uncertainty in uncertainty we look for certainty but we don't that's not what we need we need to be creative and I think that's kind of what you've summed up there we've had all this uncertainty and yes we probably craved certainty in the uncertain times but actually it's made people become creative and not just around swimming but I've just seen so many things that people have come up with these kooky ideas and it made us become more inventive and it really shows us how resourceful and how amazing as human beings we can be when our backs are against the wall. So it doesn't surprise me that people were tying ropes to bloody poles and swimming in paddling pools one bit. Anyway. <laughs> We've had no other option, have we? And I guess the good thing is that we're all been in the same boat and all sports have been in the same boat as yeah. well. So it's not just the summers, it's all sports across the board. So uh, yeah, it's amazing that they're back open anyway. Yeah, it is. And I'm I'm dead excited for Tokyo as well. I was supposed to have been in Tokyo last year for the Olympics. I was going for a whole month to experience it all. And of course, didn't get to go um so yeah i was meant to be out there too and then now we're doing well i'm now doing all the bbc stuff from salford so (laughs) not quite quite the same as tokyo but at the same time obviously i'm just happy they're going ahead because i think they've been like you've just said about uncertainty i think this is the olympics has been the biggest uncertainty ever yeah Uh, and it's still one of those that I've seen all sorts of stuff coming out of Japan that they, they don't want it to happen. And there's really? all different stuff going on. But at the same time, it is happening. They've made making it as safe as possible. And that's that's the most important thing to obviously all these athletes. I'm, I'm dead excited. Like, you know, I get excited about any major sporting event and all of the other things in between. So there'll be Wimbledon on and then there'll be the Olympics on. And, and we've got some uh, women's Euro football going on as well. It's just, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the summer but anyway I don't want to talk about me and the Olympics I want to talk about you <laughs> because you I want to celebrate you but this show really is about 
um, talking about, I guess we see the glamour, obviously, you know, the winning of the two gold medals was absolutely freaking amazing. And we all see that and we cried with you. Um, but we don't know what goes on behind the scenes and what it really takes, what kind of mindset, what kind of routines, uh, all of that stuff, the impact on family and relationships and all of that, that to get to that level uh, of sportman sportsmanship. Uh, I mean, my first question really is around how you got into swimming. Was it just as a kid, you got in the pool and you loved it? Yeah, yeah. Being from a, a really small town in Mansfield, there wasn't an abundance of things to do, shall we say, but we're really lucky in Mansfield because we've got two swimming pools. Um, one's at one end of the town, one's the other end of the town. So everyone had access to a swimming pool no matter where you lived, which is just absolutely amazing. Um, and we've kind of got an abundance of swimmers from Mansfield because we have the two swimming pools. Most towns, some don't have any, let alone one when we, we have two. So we're, we're incredibly lucky. So it just became a family thing. And it was so different. And I don't want to sound one of those older people that back in my day, but <laughs> back in my day, um, you didn't have the abundance of sports. Like my, I've got two kids, but what my daughter, who's five, there's so much choice for her. There is like an abundance of different things, whether it's arts and crafts, music, drama, sports. And then even in the sports category, it's like swimming, tennis, ballet, gymnastics. There's, there's, there's so many different things. Whereas when I was there, it was either I had an option of cross country running, ballet or swimming. They were the only three things wow. available in our town. Um, and anyone who knows me knows I was never meant for ballet ballet at all I'm like I'm not a ballerina so it was kind of just left up to kind of swim in and I've got older sisters and they both love to swim as well and it just became a family thing um and it was one of those things as well that I think and what I love about swimming is that it is such a fun thing so we didn't just do our lessons and the training we spent time as a family at the pool where you go down slides and pretending to be mermaids and get like fun stuff as well and I think because it was so much fun um it was just one of the things that I've always seen as my hobby even yeah. when I was doing it at the Olympics it was always just I get to do my hobby it was wow. just <laughs> yeah do you I mean I mean I did athletics as a kid that I think that's obviously where my love of sport kicked in that was pretty much the only thing in my town that we could do outside of school sporting wise so it yeah. was athletics um I've lost my point now what was I going to say Oh, gosh. No, it's gone. We'll go down a different tack. So was your family sort of encouraging you to be competitive as a kid or was it um, you just kind of loved it? Just go and have fun. And, and it just kind of grew. I know you kind of said that anyway, but was there when did it kind of become more competitive, I guess? Um, not until I was about 11, 12 years old. Um, so you get into, obviously you learn to swim at three, you join a club about eight or nine, you start racing about nine or 10. Um, but it took kind of a few years. It was just more one of those things that I used to talk way too much. I used to get told off because all I used to do was go the whole time I went swimming. Um, and it was just one of those things that I had a really good group of friends. My sisters were there anyway, that it just was like fun. And it was just like a little after school hobby. Mm. Um, but then as I kind of started to get a bit older it was kind of like mum I want to go swimming more often it was kind of like I was asking to do more sessions and um 
I kind of wanted to train a bit harder and wanted to do more racing and it kind of just naturally happened. And because my sister, my eldest sister is five years older than me. So she was kind of fully into the swing of things by then. Um, when she was about 15, 16, I saw her going to things like nationals and kind of get, having that sort of life. And I just really loved it. And it was just one of those that I wanted to do more and more. And it just became a natural kind of stepping stone into building up the amount of sessions I did and kind of finding out what strokes I was best at and just kind of going through that pattern. And it was all fairly natural. Um, my parents kind of were never pushy parents. My parents were always just like, you kind of have to guide this. Um, and my sisters both stopped um, as they got older. It was kind of one of those that my dad used to wake us up at half four in the morning to go morning training. <laughs> and my sisters were like throwing the alarm clock at my dad, refusing to get <laughs> up, just shouting, go without me. And I, it was always me stood by the front door going, dad, just leave him, let's go. It, was just, it just naturally became a thing that I just wanted to do it more. Yeah. Um, it was never them pressurizing. I think to be honest, my parents would have preferred at half four to be staying in bed rather than taking me training. <laughs> It was just one of those that it was kind of totally driven um, by myself because I just wanted to go more and more. I just, I hated not going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, well, that's it. I mean, was it always your dad or did your mum ever do it? No, you no. Know, the early it, morning. It, it mostly then became my mum. Um, yeah. It was one of those early on that um, my dad used to do it and then go to work and it just got too much with three kids and he was running his own business at the time. So my mum then kind of, decided to stop her job um, which was a really huge decision as the family um we're not from a kind of upper class like well you know some yeah. money or anything like that so it's kind of really tough decision as a family and we kind of had to make that together um to, for my mom to stop her job and kind of it all that pressure came on my dad but it was one of those that kind of she had to look after three kids at the same time and obviously as I got older they stopped swimming and it was like trying to get, take three kids to all different sorts of places was really, yeah. really tough. And we lived about 45 minutes away from the pool as well. So it wasn't exactly like it was just down the road. Mm -hmm. um, so we were spending three hours a day in the car together, just going training morning it, and evening. Was it, how many days a week is that then you were doing that? Um, five days for the both sessions. And then oh. on Saturdays, it was just the Saturday morning session. But to be honest, most weekends you were spent competing anyway. Um, oh. So we were always kind of in Sheffield or kind of traveling around going to competitions. And it was just, yeah. it was just, yeah, it's a full old song. It's, it's swimming as most sports is, is a real dedication from the whole family. Like it was literally like, we would get home at eight o'clock at night. And my sisters will have made sure that they'd have cooked me tea mm. so it was like they all everyone pitched in it was like they then would help me with my homework and make sure tea was ready and the kind of we all kind of played a role and it was kind of really nice we kind of it was never a case that we had to sit down and say you must do this and you must do that we just yeah. naturally found our feet and we all wanted to kind of pitch in and help out and um yeah it kind of just grew from there really so it was a real, real family commitment and, and I guess, you know, sacrifice really, because, you know, obviously all that your mum gave it. How old were you when your mum gave up her job? Twelve. Right. Yeah. All that, you know, family commitment and, and like I say, certain levels of sacrifice because you can't then go off and do all of these other things because you're training five days a week, sometimes six and competing at the weekends. I mean, it's that's massive. Yeah. That's a massive I, investment of time. I, I don't think 
a parent has willed somebody to pass their driving test first time as my mum. <laughs> safe to say, I think as soon as I turned 17, they were like, here, take driving lessons, <laughs> passing your test. And it was like, I had my sister's old car. So it, I could, to be fair, it worked really well because I passed so quick because I used to drive to training at five in the morning. So my mum yeah. got to sit in the passenger seat and just chill a little bit. I got to practice driving and the roads were really quiet. So yeah. I ended up passing dead quick. And then they, she was like, I'm finally free. And then Five years later, I'm free. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, once I was 17, it became much easier and much harder on me because then I couldn't go to sleep in the car. But at least no. it it helps the family definitely it relieved your mum of her duties <laughs> what, exactly. um, I, I noticed that you've got uh, an uncle that's um was used to play for Derby County it was my dad's uncle so yeah ah, okay but it's because it's the last name but yeah my dad's uncle um I never got to meet him unfortunately ah, okay that's how my dad's grew up going to Derby County he was a goalkeeper my dad was is football obsessed um and it was one of those he grew up going to Derby obviously yeah. because of his uncle and then still sports them now still season ticket holder still die hard Derby County and Good on him. <laughs> my, my dad was obviously gutted when he had three girls and not one boy he just wanted somebody to take to the football bless him he was like give me a boy yeah, we're yeah. All <laughs> but times um, are changing you know the women's football now is thriving that it's going to be on the BBC next season I don't know if Derby County have got a women's team I, I can't think if they do now I, I need to check that out. You need to check that out, Becky, for your daughter. Because, <laughs> you know, you never know. Because um, women's football now is really incredible. Um, but the reason I kind of brought that up is because I'm really fascinated about the kind of thread of sport within a family and whether it comes from our genes and, uh, and we inherit these genes that make us um, more likely to have this sport in prowess. And obviously the bit that I found was that your great, your dad's uncle was a football player, which... Um, is there anyone else in your family that's sort of high level athlete, elite athlete? Not at all. Definitely really? not. No. Um, that blows that sure. myth then. <laughs> well, no, no, I'm sure like other families, I know there's loads of families within swimming that uh, their parents have swam and kind yeah. of gone on. So it definitely happens. Um, and I've definitely seen it in families, but uh, no, not unfortunately in mine. Um, my dad's can barely swim, bless him. <laughs> <laughs> I still do like granny breaststroke that's me exactly. get me out of here <laughs> my mum and dad as well they can hold their own don't get me wrong but yeah no they're, they're certainly not but they've both loved sport we've grown up um going to sport in events even though they've not been sporty sport has definitely been an influence of our, on our family um mm. it's been one of those growing up sport was always on telly it mm. was always live sport that we were watching it was always question of sport things like that were our like family shows if you like that we used to watch and we used to go to sporting events as well like my parents got me tickets all of us tickets to go watch Manchester Commonwealth Games in 2002 and Brilliant. that was when I first sat in the stands and went this is what I want to do and it was just with we're definitely a sporty family as in we're fans of it even if we're not um taking part in it we're definitely sports sports mad well, yeah like like us that's I got you know my dad would play tennis and badminton but yeah we watched a lot of sports and my, my brother played well he played American football weirdly which was very weird because you know like that was a long long time ago so there wasn't a lot of it around then um but yeah we're definitely sporting family in that way watchers more than doers um yeah. well I'm a doer but I, I guess the other thing is around when did you do you think then 
actually, I'm really good at this. Was there kind of like a, a moment uh, in, you know, I don't know, maybe when obviously all that commitment that your mum had to, to, to give to, in order for you to train, was there a moment where you thought, I'm pretty freaking good at this? And, at, and where was there ever a moment that you thought, oh, I want to be Olympic champion or I want to be world champion? Were there ever those kind of moments for you? Do you know what? My journey, I feel like, was like a little bit backwards in a way, because it was one of those that um, when I was about 13, I started making junior teams and um, really started to enjoy it. I got I picked up a few medals um, and things in the junior rankings. But then when I was 15, um, illness just plagues the family my sister in the same kind of space of a couple of months my sister went into intensive care with encephalitis which is a brain virus and mm. um, I got glandular fever and post-viral fatigue and it was just one of those that illness kind of just not stopped everything because I still swam but just halted everything so I didn't ever have that moment of oh my gosh I, I'm fairly good at this until the Olympic Games but I think that's because of illness I think if I'd have had that opportunity to go to the Commonwealth Games and kind of keep on the trajectory that I was on from junior to senior um I probably would have gone oh I'm all right at this like kind of let's continue but because of that illness I didn't get to experience some of the the stepping stones if you like that normal athletes get to to kind of progress along and kind of build up nicely mm. whereas I kind of went straight from junior to nothing to then olympics and then <laughs> i did all the rest um of europeans commonwealth games worlds etc um so it's kind of a little bit backwards in that way because of the illness but yeah when i qualified for beijing that was the moment that i thought hold on I, i'm going to the olympics here and <laughs> i thought i would get the opportunity i think because of illness and because I'm just from Mansfield. I'd never even seen another Olympian before in, when you're from a small town. Yeah. Uh, so I think it, it's a very different thing. And I used to think um, going to the Olympics was like winning the lottery, that it just doesn't happen. It's just so rare. And it kind of had that kind of prestige in my mind. And I never, ever told anyone I wanted to win an Olympic medal because I just wow. thought somebody would laugh at me because I just thought it was such a a stupid thing that people would just be like, as if you're going to do that. So I just never, ever said it out loud or even to my coach, I never said it because I just felt a little bit like embarrassed to almost admit that that was my dream. If you like. That's a big dream. Mom. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Um, so when you got picked then for when you qualified for Beijing, did you then start to think, was your conversations with your coach then very different what yeah. was your you know what was the strategy I guess in your mindset then yeah it was very different um qualifying I kind of didn't expect to qualify at the events that I did like I said I was more traditionally um 800 so to qualify on the 400 then also being um a prime spot for the four by two relay as well I had other things going on that I was like oh my gosh totally took me by surprise and it's a really weird thing qualifying and world rankings because I was actually ranked really highly on them but everyone has their trials at different times America has theirs way later than us um in swimming so we tend to have ours March April time they tend to have theirs about June July time so they're much later on mm. um, and it's kind of like one of those that whoever goes in highly ranked is never what it comes out of the, <laughs> it never happens unless you're Michael Phelps obviously but otherwise it kind of like it's just your entry it's just a piece yeah. of 
paper it means nothing it doesn't matter people don't remember world rankings before the games they only remember who wins the med- who wins Absolutely. the medal yeah. So it's kind of all that that matters. So it's kind of a really weird one. And we got to, I can remember doing a competition in like June time, knew we was going to the games and I swam awful. Everyone else on the British swimming team swam amazing, but me. And I was just, I had like a breakdown. I just came back to my coach and we had a, the only argument we've ever had in 12 years of working with my coach we only ever had one argument and that was just before Beijing because I just found the pressure of being highly ranked so so daunting and overwhelming and I didn't know how to deal with it and I was like I don't know what it's going to be like I'd never been to something of that caliber before let alone kind of even put in my mind what the Olympics was going to be like and I just kind of didn't understand why I was swimming bad I now understand it's because I was in heavy training and I was right where I needed to be but it's very hard at the time when everyone else is swimming fast around you mid-season and you're not but Mm. it was one of those that yeah the conversations were different it was one of those that we thought the bronze and the 800 was up for grabs and we thought just finally for the 400 um, would be an amazing experience. But yeah, never, ever thought two gold medals. Definitely not. Wow. It's so good talking to you because oh, I love talking to, to uh, elite athletes. I really do. And just everyone's mindset is so different when you talk to Kelly like her goal was um from 11 years old to be world uh, olympic champion you know I talked to Billy Swear the boxer from 11 years old he wanted to be world champion took him 20 years and there's you like yeah <laughs> you know I'm, I just I want to swim and um yeah if I get bronze great if I can be a finalist great and then look what you went on to achieve I just want to go back to obviously you said you struggled just before Beijing uh, and I have this, you know, obviously I, I help um, sports professionals and mostly it's, you know, I deal with the life stuff so that when they go and do their training in the sport that they're actually the best that they can be because everything outside of sport is functioning well and they're functioning well as humans. Um, and the mindset that you had that, that made you, you know, have that wobble, I guess, and that fallout with your coach. How did you how did you process that? Did you work through that alone? Did you have any help with that? Was there any support for that kind of area of things? You know what, me and my coach had such an amazing relationship. Um, I think because what often happens in swimming, I obviously don't know for every sport, but in swimming, you tend to probably have about three or four coaches in your swimming career, Mm. just because you move from junior to then senior. A lot of people go to uni, so they move away. You then can join a performance program. So again, you then change programs. So it's really, really rare. Um, I can only probably name a handful of athletes that have stayed with the same coach since they were a junior athlete, Mm. a junior athlete. And me and Bill, one of those, and Bill knew, Bill kind of knew me better than I knew myself. He could read my body language straight away. He knew when something was going on. He almost became um, not only my coach, but almost like a second dad. Um, Mm. I often said that about him because you have to talk to him about stuff that's going on in your life. And he was always there for me. And he always, the thing that I really, really respected about Bill is, and not many coaches do this, is he catered for the human part of me. I think very often in coaching, it's like you're just another athlete and you're on this conveyor belt because Mm. for you as as an athlete, 
your coach is your world, but as the coach, they have a number of different athletes and you're going to retire and a next batch are going to come through and they're constantly on this conveyor belt of people. Whereas for you, they are everything. But Bill always treated me like I was that something for him. He always kind of respected. I was just a 19 year old girl. I was just this person going through stuff as everyone else. And after we had kind of the argument and kind of was yelling at each other, and stuff across the poolside. He then came back after I, I'd swam down a little bit after the race. And he was like, Beck, what's going on? And I just opened up to him. I said, I'm really struggling with this pressure, this responsibility, this daunting feeling that I don't know what to expect. It's all this unknown. Yeah. There's nobody there to guide you or help you or anything else. And he just kind of talked me through everything. Every little step, he took the time to really talk to me and to kind of make me feel better, to make me feel more confident. He had been to the Olympics before and he really spoke to me about stuff that didn't even matter, but it mattered to just picture stuff in my head and to just get my head around everything. So Bill became that person. It wasn't external. He um, became my everything in that sense of he had to kind of be a bit of my sports psychologist, a bit <laughs> of my mentor, a bit of my motivator, my coach yeah. and everything because he helped me through that period yeah that's really that's really interesting and, and I think you're right you know obviously coaches are there to get you know you know in some especially like football and stuff and I see it in football is you know coaches just want you to turn up and perform um, and that human first bit sadly gets lost in a lot of sports and it sounds like Bill's pretty exceptional guy um, because you're right these coaches are not just probably dealing with you they're dealing with other other athletes as well and then like you say you retire or you get injured and you move on and, and you're a commodity and you're gone and someone else will come and fill your place very quickly yeah. um so the human and that and that's the bit that I feel that I you know that there are sports psychologists but I do the human first like who are you first that's the bit that I do because that you know knowing yourself understanding yourself and having that awareness can be really beneficial to your ability to train and to compete and um I really want to kind of I want to grow that and help that all sports really. And especially for women in sport, you know, have that, that outside of their sport, someone to talk to somewhere to go to understand who you are, because it, it can be so dominating uh, of your life. Like if you look at your life as a kid, it was dominated by swimming. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I think the thing is, especially in some of these sports where you are so young, it's such a crucial time of your life anyway yeah. like Bill had to deal with what well, I say deal with me <laughs> from, was, from when I was 12 years old they're very different years 12 to kind of 18 are so different and so much is changing in your life and going through um it isn't just about senior athletes obviously if you get an athlete when they're kind of 18 19 20 they're in a totally different stage of their life and they're, they're an adult themselves you don't need to guide them and kind of nurture them as much whereas um, Bill kind of had to do that. And I think as well, it's really hard. Not, I think it's, you don't often meet coaches that can cater for junior and senior athletes because they're very different styles. They're very different um, things that you need. Mm. So I think it's one of those that not many people can do that. But me and Bill just worked. I think it's very, it's like Adam, Pete, I know I keep referencing Adam, but Adam found that person in his coach Mel that they just work together. Yeah. They have that relationship. And I think Mel is an unbelievable coach, but 
given a different athlete, she might not have clicked with them. You have to click with that person. And I say that so much that your coach is, is so important to be able to understand you, your life and everything. You've got to fit together because mm. your personalities clash. Well, you're never going to make it work because you're just going to be putting heads all the time. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like, you know, I'm a coach. I have, you know, I have other businesses and I have my mission around my business and what I want to do and how I want to support and help people. But actually I have, different people that help me with different aspects of my life you know I've actually got two two paid coaches and I'm about to take on a third one because they, they do different things and they help me with different things and I think sport is no different to that that you know yeah you can have your performance coach and, and maybe a psychologist is going to help you with some of that dealing with some of that pressure and stuff but we all need different people to help us do certain things especially when we're high achievers like you have been um, so it's a really fascinating area for me. And obviously, because I work in that area, I, I probably could talk about that all the time. So I won't. <laughs> but I love that you said human first, because that's a phrase that I use a lot when people say when I talk about sports, because somebody called me a performance coach the other week. And I was like, ah, ah, no, 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 I'm not a performance coach. I, I, I'm a, a human first coach. I, I help people understand themselves, make sure that other vessels of their life are filled up, not just their, their, their main identity as an athlete. And, and uh, that self-awareness bit, have someone to talk through, be guided by, so that when they do go on the pitch or they go to training or whatever, they, they're at their best, they're a fulfilled human being. Because when we're fulfilled human beings and satisfied, then we naturally perform at our best anyway. So there is a, there is a performance element, but it's not my main bit of doing it. So the human first bit, I love that you said that. <laughs> but that's bill always used to say a happy swimmer is a good swimmer that was always exactly that's it i love that line happy well that's it a happy athlete is a great athlete right and if you want to go to the next level i think some sports that i've seen in especially football i hate to say it but you know i've worked with some footballers and young footballers and that it it can be you know them wanting maybe to bring someone like me in or it, it can be quite challenging for them because they're like you don't want to deal with all that stuff it's just like no come on just turn up train turn up train compete why aren't you competing well actually because you're not treating them like a human being but it's changing that sort of old guard mentality really around that but um yeah very very interesting so where do you think then the the crossover lies i guess between um mindset and skill set because obviously swimming is pretty technical i think when i what i heard adam pete adam petey doing it on good morning Britain or something one and he gave a swimming lesson and I watched it I was like no wonder I can't swim (laughs) it's like it seems pretty technical um very technical and the thing is I think every sport has this balance like we talk about in swimming so much that the perfect package of athlete and we talk about Adam in that bracket but that is somebody that yes Adam, you only have to look at him and know from his physique, he's going to be an unbelievable swimmer. I mean, when you're tall, built like Adam, you've got muscles and that kind of strength and everything else, but it's about the mindset as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I have seen throughout my whole entire career, and even now I've seen athletes that have been at their peak physical condition, but mentally haven't been there and not performed the way they should. And I've seen it the other way around. I've seen people that are physically not in the best shape of their lives, yet they've been so strong mentally. They've pulled something out of the bag that I've gone, how on earth have you done that? Like, <laughs> it's been amazing. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's loads of different things in sport that you talk about. You talk about the hard work to talent ratio and all this sort of stuff. And I 
would always say that I had more hard work than I have natural talent. I've seen people have more talent in their little finger than I have in my whole body, but they just never push themselves to that ability. Mm. Always seems to be the really, really naturally talented ones that don't want to take and push their body to the next limit in swimming yeah. anyway. And it's really frustrating when that happens because you're like, I'd kill for your talent. Yes, <laughs> I've heard that phrase before. Somebody we talked about that the other day. And I've heard it in football as well. There's some, you know, um, amazing footballers have got massive amount of skill, but the will to do the hard work and the other bits is just not there. And you know that they could literally be, you know, they're already great, but they could be phenomenal. And yeah. they've just not got the will to, to uh, apply that to the skill that they're already gifted with. Yeah, I know. I, I totally agree. And I think it's one of those as well. You can um, have a gym coach and you can grow and develop muscles and areas and same with technical ability. That's what your coach is there for is mm -hmm. to improve that. But you cannot teach or give somebody motivation. You can help it and nurture it, I think, and really help grow it and use it in the right way. But if you've not got it, if you've not mm. got that drive, you can't give that to somebody else. It's just not, it's not possible. You've got to have that yourself and that love and that dedication there. So it's really difficult. But for me, the, the mindset was something that I think because of being ill and kind of having that journey, um, it was something that swimming became my escape. Swimming for me was the thing that I did when I was happy, sad, angry, no matter what my emotion, I'd go to the pool. And I just felt at home at the pool. Like that was kind of where I felt um, the most relaxed, where I wanted to be, where I was at my happiest was at the pool. Yeah. Um, and it was one of those that after Beijing, a lot of obviously stuff changed because yeah. I wasn't this underdog anymore. I was this thing that everyone knew who I was and I kind of didn't understand it. And there was so much going on. And I was only 19 that I did get a sports psychologist and it was something that even my coach and it was my coach that actually said to me, Becky, I think you need a sports psychologist. And I went, why? And he, do you think something's wrong with me? And he was like, no, he was like, I just can't be your everything. He was like, yeah. I've coached a double Olympic champion. He was like, I don't know. I'm in a realm of uncertainty here. And as much as I could have been there for you before, he's like, I don't know some of this stuff now. Yeah. We're both going through this together. Um, and actually it was the best decision. And I'm so glad he did that because a lot of coaches hold too much ego and too much pride and try yeah. to do everything. Yet he didn't. He was like, you know what? I see that you need this. I want to give you that. So went and saw a sports psychologist and I can remember after the just sitting down with his name was Simon first session I came out and went wow I totally get it <laughs> Brilliant. I was really nervous because I thought I was gonna have to lay on a sofa and talk about <laughs> my feelings and do everything <laughs> on films and stuff and I was like and I also thought it meant I was weak but as soon as I had that first session, I was like, this is only going to make me better and stronger. Yeah. Actually, this is only an aid. Um, this isn't a sign of any sort of weakness. Mm. And he became somebody that I quickly took under my in my team as my support team he quickly was that, that mm. addition that I needed I'd I got my physio I got my strength and conditioning I got my swimming coach and he just quickly fitted into that team and worked so well and he became somebody that um was fundamental to my performance um yeah. and yeah I just I needed that because as much as you can physical stuff I knew I knew what I was doing in the pool and technique and everything else whereas mentally I didn't know how to train that and it kind of makes sense now why would you have a swimming coach and a performance and physical coach but not 
mentally. Yeah. It's, it's 50% of your race. It, it, exactly. It can be, and it can be more than that. Like, you know, like if you've said before, you've seen people that have not been in probably the best shape to win, but I've gone on to win because of the mindset too. And their mindset has been that will uh, and that mentality has just been so great that it's their body and your mind does control your body. So ultimately that's why that can happen. Um, and and it, it's changing that narrative, isn't it? Around like how we perceive psychologists, life coaches, and, you know, you know, any, all of the athletes that I've dealt with, apart from I've done some work for football associations and sporting bodies, but the actual individual athletes it's not their club that have gone actually you need to go and spend some time with sam or whatever it's something they've had to do for themselves yeah um because and a lot of them don't want to admit it like i signed a lot of ndas because they don't want people to know that they they've got a life coach uh because it's seen as i guess for especially for men uh sadly that it maybe this is a sign of weakness when it's absolutely the opposite this is going to make you better as a person it's going to improve your relationships, your trust. It will improve you on the training ground. It will improve you, improve your it's performance. Those, it takes you going to one and understanding it to realise that. I do yeah. get the perception about it. I do understand because I had that yeah. stereotype. But as soon as you've been to one and, and seen them or worked with them or kind of understand, really understand it, mm. it's it's such a strength and a positive thing it's it's actually mad and I I think it should be an absolute essential to any top sports person absolutely essential Um, I don't see why they would have physios and gym coaches and everything else around the poolside and not um exactly I I feel like it should be an absolute basic essential um, for people no matter what your sport yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a tennis player that won um, a tennis match a couple of years ago, and she was like way outside the rankings, a bit like you know she turned up, no one expected her to win. She won the whole bloody tournament. Um, and, and I remember reading an article about her, uh, and she said the biggest difference was that she'd taken on a life coach, and she just had that person with her all the time. And when she needed to talk, she'd talk, and they'd talk about life. And sometimes it was uh, advice sometimes it was guidance sometimes she'd just listen and she said that's probably the biggest difference and that's why I believe that I got to where I got because she she knew that her mindset and having clear thought and clear thinking and clarity in her head would support her performance and she's gone on to to do amazing things since and she still has that person working with her so um and obviously it's what I do so I'm massive about it but anyway but it, it is just it's so crucial I'm really conscious of time. I've got like a shit ton of questions to ask you. Um, let, I'll really try and rattle through a couple quickly. Is that is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you do you feel like you achieved everything you set out to? Which I think you probably did because you never set out to win two gold medals. One hundred percent. And I think it's very rare that as an athlete you finish your career going, you know what, there's no stone left unturned. There's no what if moments. There is nothing that is that little niggle kind of in the background. Not at all. Um, It's amazing to have that because I know not every athlete has that. And I feel incredibly grateful that I feel feel so fulfilled with my career that there is no regrets. There's no nothing. Um, And I'm I'm probably um, in the minority there. I do appreciate that a lot more athletes don't have that um, yeah. kind of, that kind of peace, should we say, um, yeah. injury, illness, whatever funding, whatever happens, gets kicked out. There's loads of different things. Yeah, sure, there is. Yeah. Careers end, but um, I feel very fortunate. 
That's really that's really good to hear. I mean, coming sort of as an aside to that, I suppose, because I deal with some athletes that are like coming to the end of their career and that can be really, really difficult. Um, you know, I've got a client that that has really struggled since they've stepped away from their sport. Um, and I do think there's a real thing here and I've seen it seems quite common now because you have this identity as an athlete, you know, you're elite, you're seen in high regard like you, you know, your world literally changed after Beijing and then you either have, you get injured and you can no longer compete or you have to retire. You know, how was that for you transitioning away from the sport? Do you think, was there any preparation you did? Was it okay? Was it smooth? How did it feel? Yeah, and the thing is, it's never going to be easy. I think it's unrealistic to expect it to be easy, walk away, job done, never, like, I, there was days where I just cried going, I miss it, I miss this, I feel lost and I didn't know what to do. And, and it was all those moments, of course there is. It's your passion at the end of the day. I kind of feel like you have to go through, and I know this sounds a bit weird, but grieve it almost. Mm. It's almost like you have to go through that because I feel like swimming was my life. Yeah. 15 years I lived and breathed the sport. I had to grieve it. It was going to be, It's. it was almost like I'd lost, I'd broken up from my true love. I'd lost my soulmate was almost yeah. how it was that it kind of felt like that. Luckily, I kind of got that back because I set up my own learn to swim business. So I'm still so involved in the sport that I kind of feel like I, I still get my fix because yeah. I'm still so involved in swimming. Um, but it is one of those that is very, very daunting. It's scary because... I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I think that's the thing with a lot of people is that fear of the unknown. Well, what do I do now? Mm. Um, unless you've been to uni and you know exactly where you want to go and you want to do, mm. it's very, very scary because you go, oh, I don't actually know. But actually, I kind of tried to see that in a positive way. I was lucky enough I was in the position to take a few years to figure out, well, I tried doing this. I tried doing bits of reality telly. I tried doing all different sorts of things. Um, I fully loved the grassroots. I think a lot of people go into elite sport when they finish and want to be coaches or whatever. I, I knew I didn't want to even go anywhere near elite sport. I don't have the patience. For me, <laughs> grassroots was kind of my real passion, my real driver. Yeah. Um, so I think that, that was kind of a natural step, but it definitely isn't easy. I didn't do any sort of preparation. So even physically, I just put on a absolute <laughs> shit ton of weight. And I literally just kept eating the same, but wasn't exercising. I still wanted to keep eating. And it took six months to go, oh my God, I am huge. I need to really start exercising and eating well again. So then it kind of came back down. Um, but yeah, it was one of those that it's just, everyone's different. Everyone kind of, yeah, I kind of discovered when I finished them in, oh my God, I can drink, I can have chips. I just, you've kind of got to go through that period. It's like after a breakup where you just sit there, watch a movie and eat a ton of ice cream. Yeah. Exactly what retiring is like, is just like a breakup that you've got to dye your hair a weird colour, just go <laughs> a little bit, do you know what I mean? Just do something a little bit mental. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of you find your feet again and you find who you are. And actually it's a really important part of discovering who you are as a person because yeah. you lose the identity as a swimmer, but you gain a much more powerful identity of just Becky. I yeah. was no longer Becky the swimmer. I was just Becky. And who is Becky? And how do I cater to what I need and what I love and everything else? And I, I felt like that was a really important part of my journey was discovering who I was 
Now that that that's really interesting because that, that that's what I do with that, the the competing athletes is like well don't forget who you are because that will really help you. But then there's the other athletes that I deal with that are transitioning out of sport that have no clue who they are and feel completely lost. Whereas for you, you kind of saw it as a bit of a well who well who am I be I can be creative I can try this I can do that. Whereas for some athletes that is an absolute struggle because they have no clue who they are outside of their sport. Yeah, but then don't be afraid to fail. I think that's exactly. what with me. It was kind of like, I didn't expect to be top level at everything else. I knew I was going to be good at certain things and absolutely terrible at other things. I definitely learned after a while. And I think I learned that by failing so much. I feel mm. like I tried so much that I was so bad at. I went, you know what? I know what I don't want to do. And I think yeah. even if that, even if you know what you don't want to do and aren't good at, that's going to help you towards finding that thing that you are and that you love. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just wasn't scared to fail. I was just kind of like, really? you know what, I'm crap at this and crap at this. And I just won't do it again. At least I've tried. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that attitude. And yeah, we're all different. We were absolutely all different. What, what do you think are the transferable skills that you took from your swimming that you now use in sort of in your life as you go forward and to anything that you want to achieve? Um, I think a lot of it is communication. Um, I think I had such a good relationship with Bill that we communicated so much and I feel like that passes through so much. So even in business life now, communicating um, with my business partner, but also your, your working team um, really helps and kind of trusting your team as well. I think that's really helped me in business is the fact because as an athlete, I had to trust that my physio, my strength condition, my coach, everyone was doing the right things to make the end result of the performance and I feel like that's really transferred into business life I don't try to do other people's jobs at the end mm. of the day they are good at their job for a reason and actually having that trust and kind of really working on working together um, and then that's kind of really helped kind of in business sense if you like but mm. I think in athletes as well we're really um, we love a routine we love structure we love kind of dedicating to something if I'm going to do something I'm going to do it to 100% and I'll give mm. it all my ability and I think athletes are very much used to kind of doing that we don't do yeah. things half-hearted I don't think yeah. <laughs> And that really kind of transfers um, and stuff like that. And I just feel like as well, just the friendships you make and kind of everything along the way, don't forget to have fun with stuff. Yeah. I was still having fun in swimming. We still did games and silly things, even as an elite athlete. And I think it's really important and never ever forget to stop having fun as well, um, yeah. no matter what you're doing, because that's so important. Yeah, I think, and I do think that, you know, obviously like, you know, we do get, some people do get involved in their sports so young and that it, from very, very young age, like you say, swimming three, you learn to swim. And maybe if you went on that, that route, you know, you, you forget to have fun because it's all you do and it's all you've ever known. And, and, you know, I've certainly tried to help some of my clients just enjoy the journey a bit more because yeah, there's plenty of unhappy, successful athletes, but how great would it be if you actually enjoyed it as well? Um, but that's what you look back on as well like it's so important to enjoy the journey because and I can fully say this and hindsight is a wonderful thing and it's very hard when you've not got that hindsight but yeah. I don't even look back and remember 
some of those, the outcomes or the results. I don't look back and go, oh, I went eight this on this day. and I won this medal. I now talk about the fun training camps and things <laughs> like you look back in such a different way and you look back on your memories as part of the journey in the process rather than like, I don't look at medals anymore. Like I don't like, I don't know what time I did at what competition or anything else that you kind of Brilliant. pin everything on. You, you just don't. I, I love your attitude. It's, it's really refreshing. It really is refreshing. Um, c- a couple of really quick final questions, I guess. Um, is is there anything you would have done differently? It doesn't sound like it. Doesn't Not at like all. It. Yeah, it sounds, sounds like you, you kind of had it how you wanted it, really. Well, even the bad stuff, I think you learn more from the bad times than you do the good. Mm. Um, if I swam really well and won, we wouldn't analyse every little bit of the performance because you just swam well. Whereas when you swim bad, you analyse everything and you learn so much from that. And mm. I think it takes those really tough times to to learn how resilient you are and to kind of really grow in strength and mindset and everything else. So I feel like the bad times, as horrible as they were at the time, and sometimes I just used to cry for about three days but after that it was like they taught me so much um so I I don't regret them at all because they made me the person I am brilliant and what's the future like what would you like to accomplish going forward because obviously you know you're still very young you know you could have a whole new career which you know I know you have I know you're doing things in in swimming still with the little ones What, what do you hope to accomplish um just that my learn to swim program I mean we have over a million kids alone in the UK that can't swim and so they leave primary school unable to swim at all which is just huge and it's like 50% and obviously through the pandemic as well that's got even worse and the amount Mm. of inactive inactive kids now is through the roof because of obviously the the situation so we have 20,000 kids on our learn to swim program and I'd just love to keep growing that obviously it's not quite dent in the million um but just giving kids the opportunity um no matter what your background no matter where you're from we Mm. kind of want to get every single person being able to learn this life skill seeing it as a life skill rather than just a sport and kind of really making it that everyone can swim it's not about olympians it's about people being safe and finding confidence in the water so um i'd just love to keep growing that and kind of get more facilities available as well because unfortunately pools are closing so giving people the place to go um, and have that environment as well and is that program rolling out through the uk is that just yeah yeah it's nationwide um and we've got all sorts under our umbrella we've got a, a temporary pool company so you can build um, a pop-up pool in school car parks and things like that as well as learn to swim programs as well as school swimming and national curriculum stuff there's all sorts so we kind of really are trying to tackle every single hurdle that there is out there mm. we're putting a solution in and just making sure that kids have the opportunity to learn a life skill brilliant and people can find out more about that at your website yeah is it yeah yeah becky Edmonton swim stars Brilliant. Awesome. Becky, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've got about 10 questions that I could t- continue to ask you, <laughs> but I know I forever as well. That doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, no, but I love it. And I love just having a nice, nice, easy conversation. It's been very easy to talk to you. And I really appreciate you uh, giving up an hour of your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for being on. You've been listening to the Real Life Sports Show. I hope you found some value in this free podcast. If you have, then tell someone else about it while you're at it why not leave me a five-star review also you can share it on your socials you'll mostly find me on instagram 
at Sam Adams Coach. Use the hashtag real life. You can also check me out at my website, sam-adams.com. If you're interested in my coaching or have any comments at all, then just drop me a DM via Instagram and I will get back to you. I look at all my messages and I reply to every single one of them.